Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The FT. Welcome to FT Analysis. As sectarian violence in Iraq spreads, ordinary people are increasingly talking about the possibility that the country might be split into Sunni, Shia and Kurdish states. The FT's Middle East and North Africa correspondent, Borzu Daragahi, is in Iraq at the moment, and in this report, he looks at what a separation might mean for the country and its people. One is Sunni, one Shia and one Christian. And they have been crammed together for years in a small agricultural supply store and showroom in central Baghdad's vast Senek market. Outside the sprawling maze of 1,000 businesses, Iraq is alive with talk that the country might be split into Sunni, Shia and Kurdish states in an effort to staunch the bloodshed of sectarian violence. Inside this bazaar, despite an anti-government insurgency in the Sunni heartland and a renewed drive for independence by Kurds, many cannot countenance the notion. Majid Mikhail, 55 years old, is the Christian. If you come to the question from the perspective of this market, he says, Iraq will work. Ahmad Shakir, 35, is the Shia. Iraq is one beating heart, he says. But Ahmad Saleh, the 44-year-old Sunni, is not so sure. In these circumstances, he says, maybe it would be better to have a Sunni homeland. The problem is the majority of people are ignorant, and that's where you find sectarian violence, he says. Senek, a name derived from the Ottoman word for the flies that once infested the area, is Iraq's central wholesale market for industrial goods. Merchants from across the country haggle with importers before trucking purchases back to their shops scattered across Iraq's 18 provinces. Yahya Mandalawi is a 60-year-old Nissan parts distributor. A native of the diverse province of Diyala, he now lives in a religiously mixed neighborhood of the capital, and both his daughters have married into a different sect. There is no place here for sectarianism, he says. Our people have coexisted for a long time. Only Iraqis grasp how intimately the lives of the country's communities have been woven together, how intricately relations within clans and families have been entangled, and how tortured would be a sectarian divorce. Many tribes include both Sunni and Shia branches, and intermarriage continues to be common. Sheikh Abdullah Hamad al-Anbari is the leader of a large Shia tribe. He illustrates how intimately the different groups are intertwined. My tribe, he says, is named after them, referring to the Sunni Anbar province, which today is largely under the control of Sunni militant groups. Among them is the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, known as ISIS or Daesh, which has made redrawing Iraq's borders a core mission. Iraqis are also bound together in a union of shared suffering that includes the trauma of the Iran-Iraq war, the punishing Western sanctions that drove many into poverty during the 1990s, the terror of the U.S.-led invasion, and subsequent bloody spasm of the country's civil war. A separation of any kind 
whether a formal redrawing of the map as demanded by Kurds, or the creation of a separate Sunni homeland as proposed by some Sunni, would be so painful that some spurn it outright. Sabine Awad is a 26-year-old who works in Baghdad's Mansur district. My mother is Sunni, she says. My father is Shia, and my brother married a Christian. We are all brothers and sisters, she says. We cannot separate. But, underscoring the depths of the crisis, many are imagining a partition of Iraq, already a land of constant war, ubiquitous weapons, rampant corruption, and broken public services. Thamar Tamimi is an advisor to Nuri Maliki, the prime minister. The problem is not just security or politics at this point, he says. Half of the country is already out of the control of the government. It's too late for Iraq, he says with a deep sigh. Despite pay-ins to national unity, Iraq has been disintegrating for decades. The Kurds spent much of the past century in armed revolt against successive Arab governments in Baghdad before securing autonomy in 1991. Outside the relatively cosmopolitan capital, large segments of the country's Shia population were locked in armed confrontation with the government since Saddam Hussein consolidated his power in 1979 until he was toppled by the U.S. in 2003. Within weeks of the U.S. invasion, a Sunni insurgency flared up against the Americans and then the Shia majority now dominating the country. Ziad Ajil is a political analyst. The sectarian has been here for a long time, he says. It's not new. The Kurds refuse to be ruled by the Arabs, he says. The Shia refuse to be ruled by the Sunni. Now the Sunni don't want to be ruled by the Shia. Iraq's history confirms that you cannot achieve your rights without the use of weapons, he says, and that is the problem with Iraq. Neighboring Syria, with its mix of Kurds, Sunni, and Shia that mirrors that of Iraq, is also falling apart. There is a sense that Iraq's demography is incompatible with the zero-sum politics that have long dominated the country and region. All three of Iraq's main communities view themselves as aggrieved victims of history as they absolve themselves of their sins. Says one 23-year-old Sunni man in the Adamiya district of the capital, Saddam Hussein did the same thing to the Shia that Maliki is now doing to the Sunni. Outraged by their treatment at the hands of the Shia government, many Sunni began agitating months ago for a federal region. They were led by Osama Najafi, the outgoing Speaker of Parliament who heads one of the main Sunni political blocs. In cafes, on television, and in newspapers, many speak of a future Iraq with Sunni inhabiting their own region, much like the Kurds. Iraq's Kurds fly their own flag, assemble their own armed forces, and run their own schools with little interference from the Baghdad government. Qabad Talabani is a deputy prime minister of the Kurdistan regional government. The missing component in all of this is loyalty to Iraq, he says. That's what makes me less optimistic about the country's future. We're not seeing loyalty to Iraq. We're seeing loyalty to different sects, to ethnic identity, to religious ideologies. Nothing in Iraq is so simple as drawing lines on a map. Many of its provinces are mixed Sunni and Shia. Diyala, northeast of Baghdad, and abutting both Kurdistan and the Iranian border, includes Shia and Kurds, as well as the majority Sunni. While the mostly Kurdish eastern end of the province around Khanagin could be incorporated into the Kurdistan region, the western half of the province is a patchwork of Sunni and Shia towns, which makes cutting a line through the province impossible. 
within at least two Shia provinces, Babel, just to the south of Baghdad, and in Basra, in the deep south, there are several significant Sunni districts. There are also Shia districts in other provinces, including several Shia Arab and Turkmen enclaves. Just as Arabs live amicably within the autonomous Kurdistan regional government, Sunni could, in theory, live amicably in Shia areas. But for now, mistrust runs too high. Seytar Jalil is a 42-year-old carpenter in the Shia city of Najaf. If a Shia guy goes to a Sunni area, he says, he will be slaughtered. But if a Sunni comes to our areas, we welcome him. Baghdad itself may be the most complicated piece of the puzzle. Although once fairly equally divided between Sunni and Shia, the city has lost up to 60% of its Sunni over the past decade. Many neighborhoods are mixed. Few believe that the Sunni will let go of any part of the capital, which is also coveted by the Sunni. Iraqis have long considered the Rasafa area of Baghdad, east of the Tigris River, a Shia bastion. The western half, called Karh, was dominated by the Sunni. But the shrine of Imam Qadim, one of the most important in Shia Islam, lies in Karh, while the most important Sunni mosque in the country, Adamiya, lies on the Shia side of the river. Actor Mazen Mohammed has spent entire evenings struggling to map a future Iraq with other intellectuals. As a very last resort, he says, one may be able to move the sarcophagus of Imam Qadim from west to east and solve the problem. But this is a very sad conversation, he says. Any Sunni entity in Iraq could quickly descend into infighting, especially between the large Dulaimi clan of Anbar and the Shamari tribe of Nineveh. Adnan Hussein is editor of Al-Mada newspaper. Those of Anbar will want Ramadi as a capital, and those of Nineveh will want Mosul, he says. There is a lot of bad blood between the tribes. Fighting has already broken out between Sunni rebel factions. Few believe a compromise is possible between radical Islamists seeking to establish a utopian version of the caliphate and whiskey-swilling members of Saddam Hussein's former Ba'ath party keen to throw off the yoke of Shia rule. Outright partition of Iraq's three main Sunni provinces simply may not be feasible economically. Much of Anbar, Salahuddin, and Nineveh provinces are sparsely populated, landlocked, and devoid of natural resources. Wayne White is an Iraq specialist, formerly at the U.S. State Department and now at the Middle East Institute in Washington. Sunistan, he says, is the poorest portion of Iraq. Its agriculture is nil. It has no oil. It could be a new poverty-stricken Middle East state. Backing themselves into a dry, landlocked, barren, and oil-poor corner of the country wouldn't exactly be desirable, he says. Even if oil is discovered, a landlocked Sunni statelet lacking a strong strategic partnership with its neighbors may never thrive. As South Sudan has shown, having an oil-rich country with little else is hardly a recipe for success. Sibrin de Jong is an analyst at the Hague Center for Strategic Studies in the Netherlands. If you're going to be economically viable, he says, you have to have some kind of agreement with your neighbors for stability. Exporting anything depends on getting access to ports, networks of pipelines, and infrastructure. The Shia would also be likely to resist a Sunni entity that controlled the upper Euphrates and Tigris rivers, the main sources for agriculture in the south. Partitioning Iraq now, whether into federal regions or separate statelets, could be disastrous. Tempers must first be cooled, and ISIS must at least be isolated, if not defeated outright. It may require a new government without the divisive Mr. Maliki. 
politicians and opinion makers float several ideas for rebooting Iraq. Article 140 of the Constitution permits provinces to coalesce as a single region governing its own matters. This has been discussed for Nineveh, which encompasses Mosul, Salahuddin, and Anbar provinces. National security, foreign policy, oil revenues, and border control would all fall under the purview of the central government. Adnan Hussein of Almada says that though it's not time to start redrawing borders, there is an option available, which is true federalism or confederalism. We expect difficult times ahead, he says, and a lot of bloodshed, but we might be able to avoid the worst if there is some kind of regional federalism. The Kurds might even accept confederalism or even federalism. Nabil Yunus is a political scientist and an advisor to Osama Najafi, the outgoing Speaker of Parliament. He suggests dividing Arab Iraq into three regions, one for the Sunni, one for the Shia, and one mixed central province that includes Diyala, Baghdad, and all the heavily mixed districts around it. Kurds aside, opinion polls show that Iraqis do not want their country broken up. A 2009 petition to hold a referendum on turning parts of the south into a separate region failed to attract enough signatures. The ideal of Iraq is a mosaic of different religions, tribes, and languages epitomized by the Senec market still carries much weight. But in recent weeks, momentum has built for a drastic reconfiguration as the least bad solution. Despite their best intentions, it may no longer be possible for Sunni and Shia to live together. Nabil Yunus, the political scientist, says, if the government can't protect Sunni as citizens or doesn't protect us as citizens, we are going to go out on our own. Memories of the sectarian civil war that in 2006 and 2007 left 100 corpses a day in the capital's morgues bubble just beneath the surface. Munther Abdelkani is a retired school teacher in the religiously mixed Baghdad district of Saidiya. The militias started killing people, he says, and they killed my son. In the mostly Sunni Qazaliya neighborhood, Shia militias and members of Mr. Maliki's anti-terrorism forces cruise the street nightly, menacing locals with chants commemorating the 17th century martyrdom of Hussein, the grandson of the Prophet Muhammad, at the hands of the Sunni Caliph. Ra'ed Kamel is a lawyer and a member of the mostly Sunni Dalemi tribe living in Ghazaliya. We don't refuse to live under the Shia, he says. They are our brothers. I have family ties to Nasiriyah. Here, we don't speak of ISIS. We only speak of the many injustices that caused the Sunni to rise up, he says. Before, we refuse to consider a Sunni region as a solution. But after the injustices that have befallen us, maybe it's for the best. For the Financial Times, this is Borzu Deragahi in Baghdad. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 
We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.